Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery, to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. Hello everybody, Grace here. Welcome to the third in our series of pep talk topic chat. So these are a series of slightly shorter but more in-depth chats into one particular topic, something that might be of interest to people who are starting a business or maybe kicking off a creative project that they're working on. So I am sitting in our sleep out in the garden. You might be able to hear the birds cheeping. I have a cup of peppermint tea and I'm all set to talk to you today about how to start. So you might remember on the last topic chat that I did personally, we covered starting paralysis. So that was a little bit more about how to overcome things that are blocking you from actually starting your business or your project. But today we are diving more into how, like the practical steps of how to start, like actually what do I do? (laughs) So I've kind of come up with a series of six steps that I think are really handy to work through on the road to actually kicking off something that you've won. Oh hey, it's Grace here. I'm just dropping into the chat to let you guys know that we have the help and support of the wonderful team at Hatch on today's podcast. I thought it was kind of fitting today that this episode is all about how to start and to have the Hatch team on board because one of the absolute best things about Hatch is how they have helped me start something else, which is starting my own journey with investing. You might have heard a little bit about Hatch over the past few while because I've been doing some investing of my own on their platform. Basically, it's a really easy online website where you can buy shares directly into US companies. Hatch has really made this area that was previously really hard to know even where on earth to start super accessible and easy to kick into. If you haven't already, you can check out Hatch via our very special pep talk link and that scores you a handy $20 credit when you top up $100. So just head to hatch.as slash peptalknz and you'll get your bonus now and also maybe just have a bit of an explore on the platform. So I hope that helps you get started on your investing journey with Hatch as well. Thanks Hatch team, you are the absolute best and we really do appreciate your support bringing pep talk to life to work on so we're going to dive right in and the first thing that we're going to talk about is my favorite topic lists (laughs) make some lists so we actually did talk about this in a little bit more detail on that last topic chat that I talked about about starting paralysis if you haven't already figured this out I am a total list junkie I think it is well for me at least the number one tool for getting stuff done and feeling in control of everything and I do know that not everyone is a list person and that is cool but I think that you at least owe it to me to give it a try 
So have a listen to my last topic chat to hear more list chat. <laughs> but basically, I will add here to get super practical about list making, I think that you need two types of list when you are starting out. Firstly, you need a master to-do list, which covers everything you need to do, every single practical step to get from where you are now to where you want to go in chronological order. You don't need to know how to do everything on the list yet, but just write down those steps that you know you'll need to do and in a rough order that you'll do it in. Then the second kind of list I think you need is what I'll call an ideas list of some kind. This is where you're going to put all of those kind of one day ideas and thoughts and pie in the sky plans that you don't know when or why or how you'll do, but you're excited about them. Write them down, have somewhere to put them because in my opinion, you'll get really excited about these things and maybe a little bit overwhelmed, like you want to do everything and you want to do it now, right away, and you just can't, you need to start first. But having somewhere to put all of those ideas helps control that overwhelm a little bit of wanting to do everything now. So that is the first step I'm going to give you, get friendly with lists. They are your best friend in making this all happen. All right, number two, research. So I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with research. I have a background in law, which means I've done a ton of research in my time, and I know it is very valuable and important, but I also don't want you to get caught up on it and use it as an excuse to not get started. It can be procrastination disguised as research. Let's be honest, you could research your business or plan or idea or project for a good year or two before you actually take any meaningful action and I don't want you to get caught up in that. On the flip side of that, sometimes I feel like I am a little bit scared of doing research because I'm kind of nervous of what I'll discover. Like what if I have an idea or a plan and then my research ends up showing that it's actually a really bad idea, like no one will like it or it won't actually work. I know like personally, once I have an idea and I get attached to it, I want it to happen. It's my baby and I'm so attached. I'm so protective. I'm scared of finding out that it won't work. So I bury my head in the sand. But needless to say, that is not a great idea either. Trust me, it is better to know early on if something isn't quite right than get further down the track and have invested your money and your time and then realize something that you probably should have known right back at the beginning. Plus, I don't think research will necessarily tell you that your idea won't work, but it might just more help steer you in a certain direction that maybe you hadn't thought of before. A good example of this is my guest that I had a few weeks back on Pep Talk, Cartel Food Co, who began out thinking that they were going to launch a fresh burrito kit for making burritos at home. Cool! They were excited! But then the research started and they started talking to people and asking questions and googling things and uh-oh! Turns out burrito kits that are fresh with perishable ingredients in them is hard. Shelf life is short, logistics are difficult. But finding out something is difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. No, ma'am. It means you just need to stop and have a really good think about what you want from the business and how you want it to work. So they rethought things at Cartel Food Co. They did a little bit more digging and that's where they stumbled upon the real gold, frozen burritos. Same good quality foodie product, but with a way longer shelf life. Ta-da! 
So don't be scared of research. It's your friend and it will help you get to the best possible place for this thing that you're planning. Just be wary of those two pitfalls, but also know that a certain level of research is a necessary step to get started. So now what? What does that actually mean? Well, there's two main things, I think. One, Google the shit out of it. (laughs) And two, talk to people. So let's dive into those a little bit more. Number one, make Google your friend. So remember those lists of steps to start this podcast that I mentioned in my first topic chat a few weeks back? Well, most of them involved research. And when I say research, I mostly mean hello, Google. (laughs) Guys, we are so damn lucky that we live in the age of Google. Like how on earth do people figure things out before the internet? Okay, I'm making myself sound way younger than I am because when I was little, we didn't have the internet. (gasps) We had CD-ROMs that we put into our computer and they had all the info in the world on them. And if things changed before you got the updated CD-ROM, you were out of luck. But seriously, if you're looking for some practical steps to move forward with an idea after listening to this, then it's time to make Google your friend. Grab a pen and paper or a document on your computer and start searching things like... Your product. What do you, what type of product you're going to sell? What type of business is it? What's the market? Does the market exist for this? How do you know? Who else is doing this? Google your product in New Zealand or your country. Look at who else is doing it and what they're doing. Trends. Google market trends for your product. What is the where is the market heading? How can you get ahead of the game? Everything basically. Just search it. No one needs to see your Google history. No one's going to know what you looked up. It can be a little bit embarrassing, not in a dodgy way, but just like it shows how little you really didn't know at the beginning, but that is okay. Second kind of research is talking to people. So I'm not saying that you need to run a full-blown market research plan because that is expensive and daunting. This is more about talking to people, asking questions, pick up the phone, write an email, do a survey monkey, share it on your Facebook. When I started Sweet Bakery, I did exactly that. I set up a survey monkey with questions about product range and people's favorite sweet treats and what they would pay for a cupcake. Really basic stuff, but it's just a handy starting point. And as you move forward, you will end up getting more feedback from sales and from your customers. But to start with, you don't have that. So it's a good idea to ask some questions just to get that starting point. But be careful. Don't get caught up in planning your business by committee. Everyone has ideas and you need to be confident in trusting your gut on what is right for you and what feels right for your business. So yes, ask the questions, but go into reading the answers with your eyes open and your head screwed on. You don't have to take on board every idea and every piece of feedback. You can be choosy with what you implement, but it is helpful to have all of the information before you decide. So that is the end of do your research, which I think is the starting point for basically any project or business. Next up, we are on to assemble your team. So this doesn't mean getting in a bunch of employees and PAYE and ACC and annual leave and scary things like that. That will come down the line. I'm more talking about your support network and people you need alongside you. 
like honey you are amazing but you can't do everything yourself and you shouldn't try no you need to focus on the bits of your business or project that you enjoy and the bits that you are good at you should figure out then which bits are left over as in the bits you need help with like I don't like maths I'm terrible at maths and numbers I'm not a numbers person so I need an accountant what are those gaps in your business that you need help with that's going to be different for everyone because we all have different skills and strengths especially in your first year or so I think you should assemble your team from your friends your family and your wider networks have a think about what you need help with what your gaps are write a list marketing, social media, accounting, law, reviewing contracts, so on. Then think back through your friends, people you went to uni with, your friends' partners, your your mum's friends. You'll be so surprised. People have so many skills and they're so keen to help. They will be really on board with helping you out because people just love hearing about folks who are doing interesting things and putting themselves out there. They just want to know how they can help. And this goes with a lot of things in life. But when people offer to help or say, how can I help? Take them up on it. I know it's hard to ask and sometimes it feels easier to just kind of muddle through yourself. But in the long run, you'll be much better for having asked. I had an amazing friend who did my accounting for the whole first year of Sweet Bakery. When you're starting out, money and budget is tight. And because you don't know where this is all heading, you don't know how big it's going to get, it can be scary to commit to an accountant. I mean, just so you know for your planning, having an end of year accountant only costs around a thousand New Zealand dollars. But you know, in the early days of business, a thousand dollars can feel like a lot. So my friend, shout out to Sarah, she's listening, she's a big pet talk fan, she helped me set up spreadsheets to track income and expenses and then she helped file a tax return at the end of the year. Another example, when I took on my first commercial lease with Sweet Bakery, I talked to my friend's husband, shout out to Mendra, who is a commercial real estate agent and he gave me some pointers on things to check and ask about the property and I think he even looked at the lease. Plus, not only is this super handy in a practical way, but I reckon that those people who helped you out and answered your questions in the beginning, they are going to be your biggest cheerleaders as you go forward. They've got a bit of skin in the game. They're going to be your biggest fans and support you and recommend you and tell your friends about you and share your posts on social media. They are on your team. All right, moving on to the next big step in setting up a business or project, brand and marketing. So I do actually have a whole topic chat coming up in the pipeline all about brand and marketing for small business with a special guest expert. So this section in this chat will be a bit briefer, but that's definitely not an indication of how important it is. Actually, it's the other way around. It is so important that it needs its own chat. But for now, let's just tick off a few pointers and high level steps on this. And I'm really excited for this because not surprising, being a marketing manager myself, this is the fun stuff. So the first step I'm going to put in here is not actually picking your name and your brand colors and your logo, although that is tempting because that is fun. But the first step is figuring out who your customer is. Who is your tribe? Who is your community? Who are you speaking to with this business or project? Spend some time with a pen on paper or your computer 
and brainstorm what age, gender, and I know you can't necessarily pigeonhole that, but it can help, what income bracket your target market is. Then think about them as a person. What need or want or problem did they have that your product or service is meeting or solving? What motivates them? What occasion or event or stage of life are they in? And why does your product suit that? Where else do they shop? What other products do they buy? Who do they follow on Instagram? Depending on your product or service, there might be a few different people that you're talking to, but make sure that you're reasonably clear cut in your definition so it's not too wide and scatty. For example, at Sweet, we had categories of foodies, brides, corporates, and mums. They were our main four types of customers. So that covers quite a few people. I know it's broad, but it's helpful to group them together and know what they're looking for and how you can help them. Like mums need a birthday cake for their kid. Foodies want to come into the shop to try the next new food trend. Brides need a wedding cake and so on. You can even give them a name. A persona, I think, is the technical marketing term. So having that really clear definition of who you're talking to is so helpful because then when you've got a good idea on that, everything else that you're talking about in terms of brand and branding and copy and sales, it all comes back to those personas. Does it speak to them? If you're thinking about colors, what colors appeal to them? If you're deciding on your brand voice, what voices and styles do other brands that they love use? Next up, you need a name. So that sounds easy and quick, tick, 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 got a name, but I know from past experience that this can be the hardest part and it often also feels like a bit of a hurdle, like a roadblock. You don't feel like you can take steps forward with planning until you know what your business is, is called. But I'm going to put it out there now, you just need to pick a name and get the hell on with it. It's like naming a child. Whatever you do end up choosing will be perfect. And the business or child will just become its name. It will become the perfect name for that business. Like I know often you see other businesses' names and you're like, oh, that's so perfect. I want a name like that. But actually it's only perfect to you now because it has the business behind it and the goodwill and the spirit of the business. It's not just the name itself. Probably when that business owner was picking their name, they probably weren't sure either, but it's become the perfect name as they've built the business around it. So write a list of your top name ideas, try them out, read them in a sentence to get a feel for them. Like, hey, it's Grace calling from Pep Talk. How are you going? How does that feel? Of course, there are also a few practical things to keep in mind and ask yourself around the name. Like, is it clear and not confusing? Can you tell a bit about what the business does from it? Does it speak to your customers and your tribe? Is the domain name and Instagram handle available? Very practical. And are there other businesses in my country, say, that have that name? All right, so now you know who you're speaking to and what you're calling your business. Now we need to figure out how you're going to talk to those people and what you're going to say to get your message across and encourage them to buy. So this kind of falls into two camps, channels and voice. Channels are how you're going to talk to the people and voice is kind of what you're going to say. So your channels could be your website, your blog, social media, print advertising, Google ads, social ads, influencer campaigns, weekly newsletters, a mailbox flyer drop and so on. 
when you're deciding on what kind of activities and channels like this you're going to do, there's two things I think you should keep in mind. One is where do your customers hang out? Go back to your personas and think, where do my tribe spend their time? So this is going to vary hugely depending on who they are. So it's not really one size fits all. Number two, what is my budget? So this is going to impact your channels quite a lot because obviously different channels cost different amounts. Print advertising or radio advertising is quite expensive, whereas electronic newsletters and social media tend to be lower budget. They tend to use more of your time than your cold hard cash. As a rough guide, you can allocate a percentage of your revenue or your expected revenue for the coming year to marketing. So like five or 10% and then go from there to kind of allocate that around your different channels. I know that it's tempting as a business owner to be like, well, my marketing budget is as little as possible to possibly survive. <laughs> like that kind of used to be me a little bit at sweet. Like I want to spend as little as possible, but I feel like I know now that you do need to allocate some money to marketing. And there's definitely some truth in the saying, spend money to make money. Setting aside a budget and sticking to it and actually spending it will give you great clarity on that. So I'm going to add a little note here about social media. This is a huge topic and it's growing by the day, as you probably know. So we're going to have a separate episode all about social media and bring in an expert for that. But for now, I have a few tips. Yes, social media is essential, but don't think you need to do everything. Pick one or two platforms. Don't You don't need to be TikToking if TikToking ain't your jam. Pick the platforms that you spend the most time on personally and you're most comfortable with. Also have a think about what platforms your tribe uses. Plus, different products and services suit different platforms depending on what they're like. So, pick a couple that you're comfortable with, one or two, and only do that at least at first. Then in terms of what you actually do on there, remember it's not all about sales. Be very wary of posting about on social media about buy this, buy this, order this, do this, sign up for this. That's not what it's about. Treat it as a handshake with your customer, a virtual handshake. Then you're going to, once you've got to know them a little bit on social media through that handshake, you're going to drive them to your website or your newsletter sign up and that is going to do the grunt work in terms of sales and converting people to buying. Next, I think in terms of content, it's just about being genuine, trying to forget that anyone's going to see it, forget that your friends and family are going to see it, forget likes and comments are even a thing or engagement is even a thing. Just post what feels good and suits you and comes naturally to you. Don't try and force it. Don't try and copy what someone else is doing. Then finally, be consistent and post regularly like don't force it if it doesn't come if it doesn't feel right but generally you want to be posting at a frequency that is maintainable and is consistent so like every other day twice a week uh, I wouldn't do less than once a week I mean that would be nothing I mean I wouldn't do once a week I do more than once a week twice a week minimum but you know don't post every day if that's going to drive you insane and, and you're not going to do it properly so then the other side of things is about voice. So I feel like this is more about what you're going to say to people. 
and how you're going to say it to really engage with them and get them to buy. So do you have an offer that you can make? What are the benefits of your product? Know it inside out. How does your product or service solve the problems that we talked about before? So this is going to vary a lot depending on your business and your tribe, but spend some time thinking about how you can entice people to join you and come along for the ride. What offers could you make and why should that person join you? And I know this is a huge topic and I'm just going to wrap it up by saying three things about marketing from some favorite quotes that I love about marketing. One is that marketing is enthusiasm transferred to the customer. Secondly, people don't buy goods and services. They buy relationships, stories, and magic. And third, the best marketing strategy, care. All right, so I feel like that's a very quick and high-level skim over what is a huge topic. But like I said, we have an expert coming on to talk us over everything about small business branding and marketing. So keep your eyes peeled for that coming soon. Next up, we are talking money, honey. So I'm quickly going to preface this by saying that I'm definitely not an accountant, as you can probably tell, not a money expert at all. I'm good with with money, I'm good with money, but the technical side of money was in fact one of my weakest points in business. But you know, I've learned and I've figured out a lot along the way. So this is purely from my own experience and God, who knows if, <laughs> if it's actually right. Definitely check it with your accountant. But to cover this kind of topic, I thought I'd answer a few questions that I get asked that come up a bit. People ask about money with small business. So first is how much money do I need to start out? This is a big question that comes up quite often and my feeling on this is that I think that people often think that they're going to need heaps of cash to start out. Like, I want to start my business one day but I need to save a lot of money first. And sure, like this does depend on what your business is and how much cash you're going to need to start. But I would say that generally, if your business is service-based, like you don't have a physical product that you have to buy in and on sale, like you create your product yourself from scratch or your product is you, like a skill that you have, you really don't need that much money to start. A product-based or a retail-based business where you have to buy stock are a very different kettle of fish. Then you do need a good chunk of cash to buy stock. But I think that you should write a starting out budget. So everything that you need to get this off the ground and launched and customers through the virtual door or the door. And factor in money for, if applicable, things like website design, logo design, your office setup and your stationery, collateral like business cards and flyers, the marketing that you're going to do to start out, any stock you need to buy, and equipment you need to buy to, to make your product if that's applicable. So those are kind of a few factors that I think you can go over to kind of come up with that how much do I need to start factor. And just remember, I think you'll find it's not as much as you think it is. Next question that I get asked a lot is how do I decide what to charge? So there's a few factors here. First is the practical side of things. You need to cover your costs. You need to cover all your costs of making the good or service. And be careful because there will be things that you haven't thought about. Then you need to actually make some money. Like, that's kind of nice as well, <laughs> you know. Like, you don't just want to cover costs. You're not, this is not a charity. You're not just doing it for fun. You want to make a profit. And you want to pay yourself. So factor in wages for yourself if you can at the start. 
Then there's a factor of wholesaling. Are you going to wholesale your product, which is where you sell your product to a business who then sells it on to the end customer? Because if you're going to do that, then you need to factor in a margin, which is the clipping of the ticket that your retailers take. So what you sell it to them for is going to be, say, I don't know, $5 less than what they sell it to the retail, to the customer for. So factor that in as well. Then there is the more floofy side of things, like what pricing makes sense in the market? What do other people charge? What feels appropriate to you? What matches how premium your product is? If you're a really high quality premium product, your pricing needs to position your product in the market. So don't just be super mathematical mathematical about it, like I make it for X and I sell it for twice X. Make sure you add a gut feel check and a sense check over it. Like we talked about earlier, you can ask people as well. Uh, and you can also see what other people in similar industries are charging. But again, be careful not to price by committee or just copy your competitors. And if you're asking people what you should charge, make sure they are actually your kind of customer. Don't just ask someone who would never actually buy your product or use your service because they won't put the same value on your product as one of your actual target customers would. Next up is forecasting. How much money am I going to make? <laughs> like this is very hard, I won't lie. What you need to do is try and project for six months or a year how much money you'll make from your product or service and I know it's hard because you really just have no idea how many customers you're going to have like you haven't even launched yet so it's very hard to tell but I suggest and this is what I did when I was starting sweet you just hypothetically break it down at the week level and then figure out a worst case middle and best case scenario so like worst case how many customers will I get each week in my case it was how many cakes will I sell five cakes how much per cake a hundred dollars right that's five hundred dollars and so on from there once you've launched you're going to have a better idea of how many customers you're getting you can adjust that as you go along but it's really handy just to have that starting point the next question I get asked is, do I need a bank account? So I get asked this a bit, and my answer is yes, you do need a separate bank account for the business. But I think this is more simple than it sounds. Like, I don't know what your banking is like, but on ours, we can add a bank account really easily just on our internet banking. And the reason I suggest having it separate is mostly just for accounting reasons. It's much easier to see money in and money out and keep track of budgets and forecasts if you can see things clearly and it's not like getting mixed up with your coffees and your power bills and things like that all right so last section we are talking technical stuff this is kind of technical lawyery things and you can tell I was a good lawyer because I say big grown-up words like lawyery <laughs> two things we're going to go over here do I need to register a business and what do I do about tax and GST so generally if you're starting a small business I don't think at first you need to become a legal limited liability company and this is not advice because it totally varies on your personal circumstances and your assets and your finances and whatnot but generally for a small business or a hobby business I suggest being a sole trader at first so this is how I started out with sweet I was just Grace Elizabeth Griff trading as sweet bakery and cakery it's just you doing things personally under your own tax number and your own name 
you don't need to do anything to register as a sole trader really as far as i know unless things have changed since i did it you don't need to sign up to anything or pay anything or do anything special you just do it you just kick off and you are instantly a sole trader the next step up from that is being a limited liability company so basically this means that the company is doing the stuff not you personally this can be good as you get bigger because it protects you personally from things that the company does you're obviously still going to be a director of that company so you're still in charge you do still have liabilities that come into that but generally there's an extra layer of protection of liability if you have a company that's doing the activities of the business so to do this you need to register your LLC on the company's office you can get a lawyer to help you with this but you don't actually have to sorry lawyers depending how comfortable you are with technical stuff and and online things you can actually do it yourself online and it's really not too complicated there are a bunch of records and things that you need to keep and documents you need to sign so just go through the process properly but I know that you can do it yourself then tax wise if you're a company then the company has its own IRD account and the company is taxed the company is kind of like a person in a way not you but a separate person so this can be good when you get a bit bigger because the company tax rate is actually a flat rate whereas like you know your personal tax rate goes up the more that you earn so at a certain level of income it's actually better to be a company for tax reasons but that is way over my head so ask your accountant or a friend who knows about tax about that so that kind of leads us on to tax so tax is a big hairy beast and i am very reluctant to dive into it but it's important to just generally go over how it works so for a business you pay tax on your profit what that means let's break that down so you have revenue this is literally how much money in total, how many dollars into your bank account. So you have revenue up here, up high hopefully. Then you have expenses. So this is all the costs to make the product or service and run the business. So I'm doing things with my hands that you can't see, which is really helpful. Maybe I should make a YouTube video. <laughs> so you have revenue up here, you have expenses a little bit lower however much it costs to make it and do what you're doing. The difference between those two numbers is your profit. And that is what you pay tax on. So you might have heard people talk about in business how you want your expenses, your bottom one, hopefully you're at the bottom if you're doing things right, to be as high as possible in order to minimize that gap between the two i.e. to minimize the profit on paper and therefore minimize the amount of tax you're going to pay. So of course you need to stick to the rules and only claim expenses that are truly expenses of the business. This is something I was always very careful with at Sweet. But make sure you're claiming all the expenses that really exist with running your business, like your phone, your internet, your home office, using your car, going for a meeting or coffee, uh, or lunch meeting these are all things that you sometimes forget are work related then at the end of the financial year which is at 31 March you need to submit a tax return for the business but this is under your own name if you're a sole trader you just tell the IRD on a handy online form how much you made how much you spent and then the system figures out how much tax you pay based on the difference simple 
Depending on how complex your business is, you might be able to do this yourself. Now that Brad and I just have a small few uh, personal contractor jobs and little businesses, I do this myself for us now, but back when we had Sweet, it was more complex, so we had an accountant do it, which like I said, cost about $1,000 a year just for that end of year accounting job. There is a lot more to this, but I just want to be careful to not give advice on an area that I'm not an expert in. This is very much just how I practically understand it and implement it. It's important you do this properly. I just want to give you a high level of idea of what you're going to be paying tax on. Then finally, we have GST. Now this is probably something that you've come across a lot as a customer. You hear about includes GST, 15%, but as a business it's a bit different. Basically, once you make or are projected to make over $60,000 in a year, then you need to start charging GST. That means you pay 15% of all your revenue to the IRD. Yay! It's not, it's really not a good thing. Although, I mean, it's good to be uh, doing well enough that you have to do it. 60k is a reasonable amount of money for a small business and you really don't want to pay GST until you have to. So go back to your forecasting and see if you're likely to make over 60k in the next year for your business. And if you are, then you need to register for GST on the IRD website and start submitting GST returns and paying 15% to the IRD. If you aren't projected to make over 60k, then you can just leave it for now and not worry about GST. Just put not GST registered on your invoices or receipts for now. But I would say that if you don't need to charge it yet, you might still want to factor 15% into your pricing. Because whenever you do need to start paying it, you'll lose that much. So... If it's likely to be soon-ish, you might want to start charging a bit more now just to cover it so that then when you do have to register, uh, you're ready. Or otherwise, just be prepared to put your prices up by like 15% when you register to cover it. All right, tax is an exciting whirlwind and something that you can talk to a good accountant about in a little bit more detail. Or maybe a friend whose accountant is handy as well. But that kind of gives you a bit of a high level coverage of what tax is all about, what you pay tax on, and when you need to start thinking about GST. Okie dokie. Well, that was a pretty big old chat. Hopefully packed full of a bit more of the practical side of things about getting started and a few kind of prompts of things that you need to think about and plan for. Of course, again, these are really big topics, so please do do your own research and check that it's all covered. But at least this gives you a bit of an idea. So let's just go over those steps quickly one more time. Start out by making those lists, a to-do list and an ideas list. Then dive into your research, talk to people, ask questions, Google everything. (laughs) Next, assemble your team. Find all those people who can help you and who's got the skills that you lack. Next up, try and time for the fun stuff, thinking about brand and marketing. Pick a name and roll with it. Figure out who your tribe is and then make some plans for your marketing activities and your social media. Then we talked all about the money, honey budgets and forecasting figure out how much you're likely to make even if it's just roughly it's really helpful and then finally those fun technical things figure out if you're going to be a sole trader or if you should register as a business depending on on where you're at with finances and what you need to protect 
personally and then remember to keep in mind GST because it is not fun to lose 15% of everything you make if you're not planning for it. Alright, that is all from me for today. Thank you so much for listening to this pep talk chat. I hope it was helpful. And if you ever have questions or there's something you want to check or something maybe that wasn't clear or some feedback for me, hit me up. You can email me. All of the info is on my website, which is peptalk.co.nz. Or of course, you will always find me hanging out on Instagram. The Instagram handle is at peptalknz. So hit me up over there. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon.